1: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Politicus, and we're doing a video version for this one as well. So for those of you listening on SoundCloud, if you'd like to see our beautiful faces, head on over to YouTube, because this is posted there as well. Um, My name is Angela Simos, and I'm here with my esteemed co-host, Denise Borges. How are you, Denise?
2: Hey, Angela, the most awesome uh, (laughs) chairperson of any Portuguese-American or (laughs) ethnic organization in the whole United States of
1: America. (laughs) Right. I I thought it was the universe. Danish, come on. Well, that's <laughs> the universe, but
2: we've, we've included all ethnicities now.
1: I know. But we're going to take one
2: step at a time.
1: Awesome. So we are here with Paul Pereira, who is the deputy mayor for the city of Mineola in New York. So welcome, Paul. We're very excited to have you here today.
3: Thank you. My pleasure. I'm very happy to be here.
1: I might, question my am I think he's the first person from New York that we've had
3: I, believe I can't so. remember. I, I, I mean, will. we've
1: done quite a few of these, but uh, yeah. So thank you for being the first representative for, for New York.
3: I'm so glad. I'm great. I'm hopefully. <laughs> I'm you're going you're gonna to set the precedent for all of the Portuguese right. Americans in New York state. A lot of pressure, but I will be fine, I'm sure. Oh, yeah.
1: So, Paul, why don't we just kick it off with you telling us, you know, a little bit about your background and then how you got into the path of public service and eventually, you know, got to be a deputy mayor.
3: Okay. Excellent. Thank you, Angela. And thank you, Denise, for having me. And hello to everyone out there in, in the world and the universe. And I, <laughs> I concur with Denise that uh, Angela is the best. So uh, again, my name is Paul <laughs> I'll pay Correa. You.
1: I'll pay you later.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> later, later. later. <laughs> and the text in the mail. Um, mm-hmm. And I live in Mineola, which is a village in New York State in the suburban areas of New York City. We're about 30 minutes from uh, midtown Manhattan uh, in Nassau County and i've been here since i moved here with my family in 1977. i was born in a small um Frexia, in a small village in portugal uh called veirus in the conselho of Stareja in the distrito da veiro which is essentially northern central portugal on the coast and i moved here in 1977 like i said i was six years old with my family and I have three older brothers, and I was the only one that had not had any Portuguese schooling in Portugal as I came here right into first grade. So after two years of being here, my parents decided, and at the time, I, I can only imagine now as a parent, it was a difficult decision, but I'm very, very glad for it now. They sent me back to Portugal to live with my godmother for two years. So Oh, wow, um, that was that would be difficult. As a yeah, parent, for sure. It would, but from 79 to 81, I lived in Portugal. So I learned how to speak and read and write Portuguese. And and thanks to that, I'm fully fluent today. And, and I thank them for that. Although I know it was difficult. My older mm-hmm. brothers had had some schooling in Portugal, so they were fine. So then I came back in 81. And from then on, I went through the Mineola public school system. Uh, I got my degree in history from Adelphi University, my master's in history from Queens College. I actually wrote my master's thesis on the uh, marriage of convenience, which is the Anglo Portuguese alliance and uh, the marriage of Catherine of Braganza to Charles II. So I've always been interested in all things Portuguese. Um, I began teaching at Mineola High School in 1993. So I'm entering my 28th year. The first 27 were in person, the last half was uh, virtual. Uh, <laughs> but that's the case for everyone. Um, and I coached the soccer team, the varsity soccer team there for many, many years, for 25 years. I just gave that up recently. So that then brings me to so my political, uh, and that's why we're here. My political position is a part-time position as deputy mayor. Uh, but being a history teacher and being Portuguese and, and you know, Mineola is the largest uh, concentration of Portuguese Americans in the state of New York. Doesn't compare to places like like Massachusetts or Rhode Island or California. But uh, Mineola is a village of about 20,000 residents. And I would say about 15 to 18% of those are Portuguese. Uh, So putting it around 3,000, 3,500 residents. And then we have several thousand more in the areas around the village Mm. of Mineola. And unlike places like California and Massachusetts, Mineola is a relatively young Portuguese community, so we have a lot of, you know, first generation, zero generation, and second generation. We don't go back too much further than that. Our Portuguese center here uh, dates back to 1936, but the really large influx of Portuguese Americans came in in the 60s and 70s and early 80s, as obviously things in Portugal weren't that great economically, things here were you know better especially in the 80s economically and so really the the push-pull factors are more economic than anything else and so Mineola has really developed into this um, little pocket of little Portugal as many of the people around Long Island would know that Mineola is famous for its Portuguese restaurants and uh, famous for just being a Portuguese American community. So with that early on there was very little um, political participation among the Portuguese community, because many people like my parents chose not to become naturalized. And and my parents ended up moving back to Portugal. They live there full time now. They retired and and they moved back full time. So up until the mid 90s, we did not have really a voice politically. And then my friend, who I'm sure you know, uh, Jack Martins, was one of the kind of um, people who got this ball rolling. Of getting um, citizenship drives and voter registration drives going and he was the first one Portuguese American to run for local elected office and in 2003 he was elected as a trustee to the village of Mineola the following year in 2004 he became the mayor so thereby becoming the first Portuguese American elected to that to that level and you know he and I have been friends for 40 some odd years Uh, Politically, on the national scale, we're on opposite ends of the spectrum. But locally, we live up the block from each other. Um, Our children are friends. Our wives uh, are friends. And so in 2008... Great testament
1: to the fact that you can be opposite and still maintain. It's
2: it's becoming harder, though, if you're not... It is. If you haven't been friends for 25 or 30 years, it's becoming harder. I have the same thing with my congressman, but uh, yeah. Yeah. It it seems like it's older friendships that can endure and hopefully and that's great that you and Jack are friends because you're both great guys.
3: Thank you. And um, so, you know, again, being a history teacher, I was always civically minded as soon as I could get my uh, citizenship. I did. And as soon as I could vote, I did um and then i voted in every single election since then and i make a point to encourage my family and friends to to do the same because we know that you know if you don't vote you can't complain and we sure know a lot of people do complain um so in 2008 he approached me actually at a portuguese lions club dinner and he said hey you know uh, we have this position why don't you run and I, and I told him i said listen if you're serious call me tomorrow you know we had been drinking and eating and it was a kind of a party atmosphere it was a festa and so I'm like, he's just kind of, you know, blowing smoke. And I was kind of hoping he wouldn't call the next day, uh, but he did call the next day. And, and the rest is history. So I ran and I beat an, uh, an eight-year incumbent at the time uh, who uh, had been in and, and her wow. husband prior to that had been involved. So it was kind of a big deal. You know, local politics here at least don't get very, um, you know, ch- challenging and animated people usually run away from running for local office, not towards it. Mm -hmm. Um, But so that was it. So in 2008, I ran, I won. And then at that time the elections were every two years. Uh, And and in 2010, I ran again, uh, that time unopposed. And I won again. In the meantime, that very year, Jack uh, ran for, uh, for state Senate and he won as well. Uh, So he, gave up his um, mayoral position and instead served in the Senate for uh, three terms. And with that, we had a new mayor who came in, Scott Strauss, who was the current mayor, a very good friend of mine. And at that time, you know, my family was young. I I had a one-year-old and and a three-year-old and a six-year-old. And so, and again, I was teaching full-time and coaching full-time. So I didn't think that I was ready to take that jump at the time. And that has given me the opportunity for the last uh, 10 years to serve under Scott Strauss as the deputy mayor. And now we've changed the terms to four years. So I ran in 2016, and I was supposed to run in March of this past year. But because of uh, the pandemic, it was pushed back to September 15th. I am running unopposed. So as long as uh, somebody casts two votes for me to account to the one that my wife will vote against me, uh, I could win <laughs> another four-year term, and and then we'll um, we'll see from there. So that's how I got to be where where I am. And obviously, I live in Mineola. I teach here. My my children go to the local schools, and I serve on the village board. So it's been Mineola all the way for me. And Portugal, you know, Portugal. I met. I actually met my wife in Portugal. She's from New York, but. The year before Denise and I were in the Azores uh, doing that course, the year before that, I had taken some postgraduate work at the University of Lisbon um, through Michael Baum and UMass Dartmouth.
1: Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. That
3: summer, I did some summer courses, and um, that's when I met my wife. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. It's
1: history. Very nice. Um, so you talked a little bit about the fact that uh, Miniola is a very high percentage of Portuguese in the population. So. Obviously, we have things going on—the pandemic, economic crisis. You know, there's there's a lot happening globally. But are there things that are of particular interest to your district and and maybe even the the Portuguese community specifically that you have found? Um, that you're dealing with anything like that?
3: Yeah. Well, you know, as I'm I'm sure it is. Relatively common in most Portuguese communities, many Portuguese and Portuguese Americans own restaurants and businesses that are retail. You know that's one of the backbones mm-hmm. of um, of the Portuguese community here is retail, real estate, and of course many also um, in in uh, you know businesses whether they be construction, masonry, and landscaping things like that. So economics is obviously a big part of the Portuguese community, and they were impacted, especially the restaurants when. Um, the kind of stay-at-home orders started. Obviously, they all and we have about a dozen Portuguese restaurants in Mineola itself, with several more in the surrounding areas. And they had to close down, and it was tough. My my brother owns a restaurant, and um, so it's tough to see uh, the the uh, problems that they went through and they're still going through. So as far as a village, what we did and what I did, uh, I had some ideas, and I approached the mayor. I said. You know, we have to hit the ground running once we get into this uh, phase two, which is when restaurants were allowed to have outdoor dining, and then phase three is when they were allowed to have indoor dining at fifty percent capacity. So before any of this happened, I put together a committee of local business leaders and chamber of commerce, myself, and some and some uh, subject matter experts. So way before they even announced that they were going to be reopening uh, in this phased um, kind of manner. We decided that we want to hit the ground running. So we got this kind of protocol in place where we would streamline the permit application for outdoor dining and we would make changes to parking mm-hmm. to make things easier and we would waive all fees. And essentially, we have uh, been a partner with the restaurants and the retail from the get go so that when the governor announced that we were allowed Napa County was allowed to enter phase 2 which was uh, outdoor dining literally that day restaurants were ready to open because nice. we already had in our possession their applications their 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 uh, configurations and how they were going to maintain social distancing and and the protocols and whereas neighboring communities took them a week or longer to kind of get on board you know these restaurants many of them had been closed for close to 3 months and and now they literally could, you know, begin to operate on that day. And the same thing happened with phase three when the indoor dining was allowed. We have made some um, uh, some allowances for parking. We suspended parking meter regulations and lots of parking regulations that don't involve safety. We suspended uh, those, and we have also provided um, uh, curbside pickup spots that are free of charge. And and, and so we've gone above and beyond, and we've been proactive rather than reactive in, in getting uh, the community ready uh, for that. And then the great thing is we have a mayor, uh, Scott Strauss, who is a former New York City uh, detective, emergency services detective, and currently he runs um, uh, emergency management for the largest health system in New York State. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, he has a ton of um, expertise and preparation and disaster, disaster relief and these kinds of things. So it's always great to be able to work with him and, in preparing for, for these things, whether they be natural disasters, like we had with Sandy a couple of years ago or something like this, which is obviously is unprecedented. Mm-hmm.
2: How did the community, how did the city in itself respond to some of these measures? And of course, how did the community itself, because within, within the city um, and the reason I'm asking is uh, lots of different cities, lots of different municipalities throughout the United States, especially smaller cities, and uh, such as Manila, some of the smaller areas, you know, with twenty, forty, fifty thousand 40 50,000 people, and they took, there was a lot of backlash from the business community itself to some of these drastic things that had to be taken right at the beginning to close down, and we've seen this also, uh, different ways, expressed in a variety of ways on social media and in the Portuguese language press as well, um, that there's been lots of different controversy, you know, whether it comes from a national level, always a local level, but some local communities had a big backlash. How did that? How was that interpreted from your view in your city and in the Portuguese American community?
3: Well, I, I think that that's a great question, and I've seen it too, and I've seen it locally, really one on one. Like as I said, my brother and I have some close friends who are in the restaurant business and you know at first they wanted to be good team players like everyone else and they wanted to do the right thing when they thought it was going to be 2 weeks or maybe a month and they could absorb it and then when you know that turned into 6 weeks and 2 months and 3 months there was a lot of frustration and, and and so this was no different restaurants and and, uh, and proprietors of restaurants uh, essentially saying that we should just open already, and, and they become uh, frustrated. But the frustration wasn't really directed at us because they knew that it was the governor that was making these decisions, and they knew that it was not the, the locality. And, and the good thing about what I just mentioned before about having this task force and this committee together before any of this happened. It gave them a seat at the table. It gave them a voice. We asked them, what would you like to see? Would you like us to give up municipal parking lots where you could set up tents and seats and all that? What about parking? What would be easier for you? Because what may be better for the residential community may not work for the business community. The business community needs these cars to turn over. We need people to leave. You can't have someone park in a spot and leave it there for 24 hours because now they're taking up spots. So uh, I, I think the response from the business community to what Miniola has done has been overwhelmingly positive and supportive. And because we included them and because we were right there with them. We have one of the major hospitals in Long Island, NYU and through Langone, uh, is right here in the village of Miniola. It employs thousand, probably 15 to 20,000 employees, including thousands of Portuguese uh, Americans locally, who live locally. So we saw it firsthand. We saw them having to put up temporary tents. We saw the refrigerated trucks. We saw, and and the community came together in in support of uh, the first responders, the frontline workers, the doctors, et cetera. And so did the restaurants. Almost every single Portuguese restaurant I can think of went out of their way to provide food and and, uh, comfort to, uh, those frontline workers. So you're right. I did sense a lot of frustration, especially on -on one-on-one level from these communities. uh, I'm sorry, from these business owners as Mm -hmm. time went on, you know, and and it became tougher to pay their bills. Then the frustration became, um, but not really directed at us locally, more directed at, um, at the state government. Mm
1: -hmm. And what about schooling? So you, you mentioned that, um, there's a lot Uh, first generation and even zero generation. So it's a, it's a younger community. So which means that you have parents who, you know, perhaps aren't familiar with the American school system just yet. And, and now everything is virtual and they're having to help their kids. So how did that play out? And is there a current plan for moving forward? Because having a seven-year-old myself, we're struggling with it, right? And, my family my family's been here since the 1900s so I'm third generation <laughs> we're very familiar and if we're struggling i i can't even imagine not only portuguese immigrants but just I- recent immigrants in general you know ensuring that um their kids are going to stay on track so how's that played out for your community
3: yeah yeah so so Mineola school district our superintendent is actually was actually just a finalist this year for national superintendent of the year wow. and our You Google Mineola Schools, we're an Apple Distinguished School. We've been essentially heavy technology for about 10 years uh, now. You know, my son, who's entering ninth grade here, has had an iPad since he was in kindergarten from school. And my seven-year-old has an iPad. You know, she was just on it this morning doing some summer work. So when we went, you know, we closed on Monday, March 16th. And literally by Tuesday, March 17th, the next day, everything was in place, kids were ready, and they were so used to it. Um, this is how kids have been submitting work and doing work um, hmm. using iPad before this. So it was um, really pretty seamless uh, for us. And and so everything that we send out, that just two days ago, I received a survey as a parent, and the survey in terms of what, parents want to do going forward how comfortable are they sending their kids to school and kind of giving them some choices so all the surveys go out in english spanish and portuguese um mm. and go to all communications home uh, they go out in english spanish and portuguese and uh, mineola actually is the only public high school in the entire state of new york that offers portuguese There's
1: portuguese fantastic that's really great And
3: I'm the, I'm the teacher although i'm not a Portuguese <laughs> teacher, language teacher i teach the the Newell Portuguese class, which is like the AP uh, Portuguese class. And that's something that Jack Martins, when he was in the state Senate and when I was on the village board and in school, we worked very hard uh, in 2012 to get that. So um, that's another valia, as we say in Portuguese. But going forward, it looks like we're going to go back to school in person, uh, mm. some kind of, of hybrid um, masks and, and social distancing and uh, I know that they have to submit a plan to the state by the 31st. So next mm-hmm. week we will know. But the word around town is that we will uh, go back to school um, in, in person, at least to start, because the numbers right now in New York State are really doing well and extremely low, well under 5% infection rate. So I think as long as it stays there, we will, uh, we will do that. What happens when we get into October, November? Um, I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. you know the the Portuguese uh, community. Um, you know, I, I had to be called in a couple of times to translate or to get mm-hmm. kids who were taken advantage of. And know, those of us who are Portuguese and know the system here, and our parents don't. Sometimes, you know, I'm not saying I ever did this, but we take advantage of the situation, and we only kind of let our parents know the information that we want them to know, and right. we kind of shield them from from the information <laughs> that they that we don't want them to know. And so whenever they had some trouble tracking down uh, a child, I would call, I made some home visits. We also uh, do realize that there are some Portuguese families, but not just Portuguese families, any families that are, that really came across some tough times, you know, in terms of finances and food and stuff like that. So we, as the community did a lot of outreach and uh, delivering food and, and gift cards to stores and clothing and and things of that nature. So,
2: so uh, in in essence, a little bit about uh, because of your involvement as an educator, how important? Um, and you mentioned Jack as well. So, two faced question. Actually, how important to you is that we get bigger participation of Portuguese Americans involved in public service? And how can that, in your perspective as an educator, uh, across any area that has you know uh, small or 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 large Portuguese American population, how important is then getting not only folks selected – but also in tune with what is going on in the Portuguese American community, i.e., you know, uh, getting schools to, 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 teach Portuguese. Cause that's one of our uh, major stumbling blocks across the United States of America. You know, although we have 163 or 164 schools that teach Portuguese, but that's a minuscule number, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. in, in California with the numbers that we have, we have, you know, 12 high schools teaching Portuguese, but we have 4,400 high schools. So um, and I'm sure the same thing in, in New York, you know, there, are literally thousands of high schools and only maybe one or two that teach Portuguese. So how do we, first of all, how do we get people uh, elected at a local level, even in areas not like many where you have a, a good base of 15 or 18 percent of Portuguese Americans, but, you know, and making coalitions with other ethnic groups. And then what can a person do to kind of move, you know, some issues that are important to our community forward?
3: Yeah, that's a a great, great question. I I remember, you know, and, you know, Angela talking about being third generation dating back, you know, when I came to this country, we were the outsiders here in Mineola, though we were large in number, we really were seen but not heard, you know, and it took some time. and, And when I started teaching in Mineola in 1993, I was the first Portuguese American teacher in the Mineola school district ever, you know. Today, there's probably about 10 of us uh, all together. We have a social worker, we have a school psychologist, we have a speech therapist, we have a number of teachers. And the same thing goes for Jack, for example. You know, Jack was one of the first attorneys in the village of Mineola. And I remember the first doctor in the village of Mineola and the first, you know, this and that. And now, thankfully, we're past that. You know, the first are no longer, you know, I've noticed since 1993 teaching to today you know, I was the exception to the rule. And some of my friends were the exception to the rule going to college, you know, Portuguese and going to college was really not something that happened in the seventies and eighties, but now it's, you know, we, we had a Portuguese American valedictorian two years ago, this year we had two or three in the top 10. And, and now it's just common. It's, uh, you know, Portuguese kids were the ones who played soccer and went and worked, uh, you know, at home and, and did that thing. Now basketball team, the football team, the the, all of it, the service organizations. So, in, in, in a roundabout way, trying to answer your question is, you're right. We can't even in a community like Mineola. I can't depend only on the Portuguese community to get me elected. I can't run that way. And so, regardless of where you are, uh, whether you do have a strong base like uh, like we do here or not, you're going to have to work with others to, uh, in the end, make a community better for everyone. You know, going back to the political differences, as I said, uh, on on the spectrum, on the national spectrum between somebody like Jack and I, and you and your colleagues and your friends, when it comes to local things, it's about plowing snow, picking up garbage, providing you know services, keeping the streets clean and safe, and so those are the things that we all want, uh, regardless of uh, our ethnicity. And and I think that where the Portuguese community had a lot of power is that we had put our money where our mouth was we invested in this community we bought homes and then we beautify those homes we bought businesses and then we expanded those businesses we came and we made the community better more valuable and certainly more diverse and i think today when i run people don't see me as portuguese american people see me as a lifelong mineola resident uh, who has invested uh, in in many ways, a lot more than others in terms of living here, working here, growing up here. You know, I'm 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 all in. Um, so I think that they they respect that. But obviously, in 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 nascent Portuguese communities, I don't know how many there are. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think there's a large influx coming in now. But obviously, naturalization drives, voter uh, registration drives, participation is important. Um, in communities that are established, I think we need to think outside the box and go beyond that. And, and then there was initially this this uh, idea, especially I think with, with Jack, that if you're Portuguese American and you get elected, then you kind of have to bend over backwards for the Portuguese community. And you have to you know always say yes and you have to fix things and you have to do it for them. And you know sometimes that can lead, you want to talk about losing some friendships, that sometimes can lead to some broken friendships. But uh, I think yeah. that now in, in Mineola, we are, are far uh, along enough that, you know, now we have four, at least that I know of, at least four, Portuguese American elected officials in the state of New York, which again, as you said, minuscule, tiny, uh, but four is better than one. And sure. One, or sure. None. And, and when Jack was the only one, and then it was Jack and I, both of us in Mineola, and now you have, uh, Janice Duarte, who's, mm-hmm. uh, from Mount Vernon and you have, uh, Tony. Um, so You know, we're getting there. We're not quite up to the level of California or uh, or Massachusetts or Rhode Island, but we'll uh, we'll work in our way.
1: Well, Well,
2: I think one of the reasons why is because of what you just said. It's a it's a younger community. And so it takes time to establish these roots, Um, you know, where we were doing a um, naturalization uh, in the nineteen, you know, sixties and seventies, you the the uh, community and lots of communities in New York and New Jersey were doing naturalizations in the nineteen nineties, and right. so in the nineteen nineties we didn't have that issue because everybody that came, especially because we're such a, a strong Azorian community, uh, as you know, um, uh, and um, and so when we came in the nineteen. 19- and early 70s that second wave angela's immigrations from the early 1900s uh, but those that came in after the kolingish volcano as we most couple English folks, uh, their number one thing was to become American citizen. And mm-hmm. let's, be, let's be cognizant of that, that. It wasn't because they, you know, they wanted to pay, you know, all respect, although they did to the stars and stripes it was because they wanted to bring their mother and their father and their sister and their mm-hmm. brother mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the Azores were a very sad and poor place in the 1960s and, and, and early seventies. And so, uh, that's kind of the difference. I think, I think you'll probably surpass California, uh, in, in the next few years, because, um, you're doing things today that we were doing, you know, 25 years ago. That's right. mm-hmm. a yeah, the, yep. the big difference, but that keeps you a little bit more in touch with Portugal. Uh, I wanted to ask you one quick question. I know Angela wants to ask a couple more questions as well, and we're going to run out of time, but I needed to ask you a little bit about the education because it's a, uh, it's, uh, you know, dear to my heart, uh, Portuguese language education. Uh, and so the, your school district or your high school has Portuguese, are most of the students Portuguese or is it a wide variety? And I asked that question because here are in, in California when I just retired from high, teaching high school after all these years. And um, when I started uh, almost three decades ago, we had um, about 70% of the students were Portuguese. And when I, you know, Thirty years later, only less than thirty percent of the, Portuguese, the students were Portuguese. But we went from one hundred and fifty students to four hundred and fifty. And so, uh, how is that happening in Miniello right now? Uh, yeah, so, as far as the kids so taking Portuguese,
3: right? So we we have a Portuguese community school which uh, I right. attended, and I was actually the president of about twenty years ago for a number of years. And my my children uh, attend uh, the Portuguese community school. Júlio Niche is the name. I remember. Of the school. And then we have just the one class at the high school, uh, which is the Newell or advanced. So we don't okay. have we don't have enough to essentially have a Portuguese one, Portuguese two, Portuguese three. You know, we don't have enough interest because our high school is relatively small we have a graduating class of about 180. So you figure we have about 800 students total and we offer Italian, we offer Latin, we offer Spanish, we offer French, we used to offer Japanese. And then you add Portuguese to the mix, you're kind of diluting the pool. But to answer your question, uh, I would say uh, it's about 70% Portuguese and about 30% Brazilian. Um, And the Brazilian students tend to be stronger because they are even more recent than the Portuguese. Correct. So I like the Brazilian students yeah. because they make me look good because then the results on the Newell exam are really... Not that we, we don't have a very large Brazilian uh, population, but the ones that we do have are really zero generation and many of them speak sure. uh, Portuguese at home. And now, whereas the Portuguese students, I'm really getting, you know, some of these kids, I, I taught their parents, you know, and, and oh, the wow. parents... Like me and like you, Angela, we're trying to fight and swim against the tide to, to teach them. And, and now mm-hmm. I really look back at what my parents did and how difficult it is. You know, my wife speaks Portuguese, uh, as, as do I, but it's really, really tough to get that to go on to the next generation. And so, and that's one of the reasons why I sacrificed to offer Portuguese at the at High School because I really want to keep that alive. And hopefully, these kids will see it in a year or two or three how valuable it is, especially in this global economy to, to have another language and Portuguese is an emerging language, you know, and, and it's important and I kind of keep hammering that home. So I would say about 70% Portuguese, 30% Brazilian Portuguese and, um, and, and we'll see, hopefully it will continue to grow and and we'll get more high schools to, uh, to offer it.
1: Yeah. Well, and then I think your, example is um, just very, uh, it's a perfect example of how it requires someone like yourself who's committed to getting it in the school, put it into work. You know, it just you don't just send a letter to the to the school board and poof, right? It, it takes somebody at the local level really fighting that fight. And and that's a whole other podcast and, and something that we touch on a lot. Yeah. But I, I think again, you have you're a great example of that.
3: And I, and I think that that's really the last fight um, that I still see that is missing in the Portuguese community here is we have yet. And I and I think we have some great, great candidates for it. We have yet to get anyone to run for school board uh, from mm. the Portuguese community. And I think if if they did, we could get them in. We could. And then you could really begin to change things from the inside. Right. And, and right now, again, I think the Portuguese parents, by and large, are still, it, when it comes to education, seen and not heard. We're not the speedy wheel, you know, and because I could walk into the superintendent's office, I could say, hey, I volunteer to teach this class and it's an AP class. It's going to make us look good. Uh, it's going to make you look good. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hey, what do I have to lose? But it really wasn't a, um, a program shift. It wasn't like he invested in Portuguese, uh hmm. it was really a win win for him. But we have to get to a point where, you know, uh, I, I look at Italian. You know, we have five sections of Italian. The Italian and I love my Italian friends is really not that useful of a language when it comes to the business, business world and, yeah. and the global community. Yeah. It's really more, you know, Nona and Nono want uh, you know, little Joey <laughs> to learn Italian. And right that gets the backing and we have teachers who teach that full time. And um, so I'm hoping that in the near future, that will be our last hurdle to fully kind of be cemented um, in community where we do have a seat at the table.
1: Well, and I think that's a perfect, uh, Denise, I don't know if you had an, uh, another question, but I kind of thought that was a perfect segue to wrap it up because we are running out of time, but also we always, uh, ask our guest to offer a bit of advice and you know to the community and if there's young people out there looking to get involved what would be your advice and so your your comment about we need people on the school board you know that that could be one but would love for you to offer some words of wisdom to our community out there about getting more involved and anybody that's thinking of running for office or anything like that
3: Great. Thank you. Um, You know, when I first uh, ran for uh, and won elected office, I was uh, 37 years old, which is kind of old for starting a, a political career. But before that, the 20 years before that, I had been involved in the Portuguese center. I had been involved in the Portuguese school. I had been involved at Mineola High School uh, doing several clubs and and obviously the soccer team. I did a number of exchanges, including four um, student exchanges with, with Portugal, where I took students from Mineola High School to Portugal and brought Portuguese students from there to here. So my advice would be, I know it looks nice to be able to run for mayor or for congressman right out of the gate, but you have to put your time in. You have to show that you are somebody who is dedicated to public service and to serving the community in a way that is not just about you, that is not just about the trappings of the office so that you can walk around and be called, you know, Mr. Mayor or Mr. (laughs) Or Congressman or Senator or anything like that. And I think that people will see that you have staying power. If you volunteered, you know, before anybody was paying attention, if you put your time in before you were getting you know, podcasts, you know, broadcast across the, the country and and you are getting interviewed and all that, then I think people see, you know, your heart's in the right place and, and that you mean it, that it's just not a stepping stone and, and you're not just trying to kind of pat yourself on the back. So my, my advice to young Portuguese American or anybody else would be get involved, get involved early, get involved often. And show us what you're really made of so that we have you have a track record of getting things done. And I'm not talking about resume fillers. I'm not talking about join every single organization that there is so that you can say that you're a member. I'm talking about I want to see you with your you know sleeves rolled up and, and doing the work. And then, you know, when I ran in 2008, I was an unknown politically. But I had put in so much time in all those other arenas mm-hmm. that when we were going door to door, and then my former students, their parents, my former players, uh, you know, my parents' friends, and they all recognize me. They all remember me, and they remember me as someone of uh, good character, and somebody who was honest, and somebody who's hardworking, and somebody who was dedicated and determined. That all, you know, wasn't easy running against an established uh, incumbent, uh, and we worked really hard. But what made it easier was that I had all of that. Behind me, I had you know all of that uh, resume behind me. So that that would be my advice: is get involved locally. You know the the old saying, "Do what you can with what you have where you are." That I think holds true, and um, you know uh, I, I'm I'm an example of that.
2: And here's just a very quick follow up, uh, Angela, if I may. Uh, sure. So like a thirty second response. And so when are you running for state office?
3: Uh, okay. <laughs> I would I don't think I would run for state you election. are
2: running you are running I can tell you you are so I just want to know I, when
3: uh, I will I will say this that um, after this election to, to trustee I certainly uh, am uh, considering uh um, going for for higher office within the village of Minola I think I'm ready uh-huh. my family is in a position where where we can and as you know Denise you know one of the factors that's going to determine a lot of things going forward obviously is the census and make Portuguese count make sure mm-hmm. that you uh, you know, fill out your census is the redrawing of the uh, of the district lines. You know, I, I could live across the street and get elected really really easily, and I could live down the block and you know be in a completely different uh, demographic, and and then it's not so easy. So we will see where, where the lines fall in twenty twenty two, and um, we will see what uh, what opportunities. You know, I'm I'm also getting to the point. Uh, I'm retiring from teaching probably within the next you know five to six years. So uh, then I think we'll have more opportunities to um, to do other things. I, I like I enjoy doing what I'm doing. You know, I really enjoy teaching. Of course, it's my passion and history. But the local government part is very very fulfilling and it's satisfying and it's and it's worthwhile. And uh, I, I've enjoyed it thoroughly.
2: Well, the Portuguese American community needs you at the state level, so think about that.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. And we and, uh,
2: in, in Albany, right? Where is Where's the, <laughs> yeah, the Albany? Uh, yeah. F- <laughs> yeah. So we need you up there with the governor in Albany, okay?
1: Right. Uh and we forgot to mention, yes, that, that Paul, you are one of our Portuguese count captains and had been doing a, a fantastic job. So thank you for your efforts on that as well. And uh some fantastic advice. Oh look at that. He's got the right <laughs> Very nice. Um and fantastic advice that you offered our our listeners. So hopefully that fell onto receptive ears and we have inspired, or you have inspired um, some folks to consider, uh, you know, getting involved, getting more involved or, or throwing their hat in the ring at any level. Um, and so thank you. Um, and if anyone, thank you for to your uh,
3: Thank you. Thank you to you, um, Angela and Dinesh and great seeing you again, Dinesh. You. Um, Pleasure. If anyone has any questions or wants to reach out to me, they can obviously find me on Facebook. They can find me on Palkus as well. In the directory mm-hmm. and uh, i'll be glad to answer any questions or to you know point anybody uh in the right direction and it'd be my pleasure and thank you for doing this and thank you for doing Great. all that you do i really enjoy it from uh, our little corner of the world here
1: you're welcome yeah no it's thank a full as you mentioned uh, f- fulfilling on your end to be uh serving in a public service capacity it's fulfilling for us to, to do the work that Palkas does so so thank you uh, again, Paul. Thank you, Denish, as thank always. You. Thank you all to our listeners and our viewers, those of you who watched us on YouTube today. Um, if you have not hit subscribe to either our YouTube channel or our uh, Politicus podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, please do so now and share this with friends and family so that we are expanding the conversation and getting more people involved and encouraging more of our young people to get involved civically and run for office. And if you do have a few minutes to write us a review on iTunes, that will help more people find this this podcast. And with that, we're going to wrap it and say, have a great rest of your day, everybody. Stay safe. Take Thank care. you. Thank
2: Bye-bye.
3: Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Politicus. The official podcast of Palcus, the Portuguese American Leadership Council of the United States. Palcus is the premier national organization representing the interests of the Portuguese American community at large. To learn more about Palcus and how to become a member or to make a donation, visit www.palcuspalcus.org. To submit feedback or suggestions about the podcast, email us at palcus@palcus.org. At The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the show are not endorsed by Palkus. Politicus is made possible through the support of the Luso-American Development Foundation.